Anyway, welcome uh, to church, and as you see kind of by the video that you saw, we're going to talk a little bit about Bible study this morning. Uh, and so uh, I'm going to talk about what I learned here in the past couple of years called the Promise Principle. Uh, and if any of you do not know anything about this book or about this uh, person named uh, Philip Hunter, uh, he wrote this book several years ago when he developed this Bible study method or discipleship method, as we're going to call it, as he calls it, uh, at Gateway Church out in Dallas. Um, and ever since I heard him talk about this uh, at Men's Summit a couple years ago, it kind of revolutionized the way I think about studying the Word of God and helping other people learn to study the Word of God. Uh, so, uh, if you don't have this book, I recommend that you get it. You don't have to have this book to be able to learn to do the promise principle. We'll talk a little bit about this morning, uh, and I'll give you some opportunities. Um, but if you do want this book, I think we've got one left out there in the book room. So it's a mad dash after service to go get it. So, But you can order it online at Amazon, and you can download a Kindle version if you are not an actual book person. So uh, I'm starting to get a little bit into audio books. Uh, it kind of frees up my time a little bit to hear somebody else reading it. You can listen to it in your car and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't recommend this. Years ago when I was young and foolish, I used to read while driving. Uh, uh, I do not recommend it. I remember traveling. My wife thinks I'm crazy. Uh, but I was, I was on the road uh, doing mobile home roof overs. And I remember driving this big diesel truck with this 20-foot trailer behind me with my knee so I could hold my book. You know, so I don't, I don't recommend it. The key words are young and dumb uh, in, that, in that conversation. So anyway, let's get into this. So have you ever done something like your entire life and then all of a sudden somebody teaches you a new way to do something and it kind of blows your mind and you're like I wish I'd have known this years ago I wouldn't be doing this over and over and over again uh, just a quick example uh, here recently I've kind of gotten my mindset into thinking more about finances and my future and all that kind of stuff I'm about to be 40 so uh, I guess it's time to start thinking about that uh, <laughs> I recommend you start thinking about it earlier than that if you can, uh, but I've kind of reached that point in my life. So I've been reading a lot of stuff, and I recently read this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, it's actually one of the first audio books I listened to, and I learned a new thought that I'd never really thought about, and the book is titled Rich Dad, Poor Dad, What the Rich Teach Their Kids That Poor and Middle Class Do Not, and the thought process is that as middle class people... We have this thought process of what a liability and an asset is. We look at our houses and our cars and these things that we have that have monetary value as assets. Where the rich look at anything that takes money out of their pocket as a liability. So your house, you're paying a mortgage, you're paying utilities on it. They look at that as a liability, not as an asset. They look at anything that brings them income as an asset. So if it's taking money away from them, it's a liability. If it's bringing money into their life, it's an asset. I never really thought about things in that perspective. So as the, just kind of as an example of something that can kind of rock your world, that's kind of what's rocked my world here recently. I've had many, many times where people have uh, shown me something. Uh, most of the time, you find these things out like in the kitchen. This is what I've learned. Like something you've been doing your entire life, cooking and preparing something, somebody shows you something completely different and it's just kind of like, well, duh. 
I could have done that. That just makes a whole lot more sense. So, uh, so my question is, how many of you actually read the Word of God or study the Word of God on a regular basis? Like this is, you've got a habit built up of this is something that you do, you know. Uh, hopefully, all of us, just some of us are scared to raise our hands. And some of us will raise our hands just because we don't want anybody to know we don't. Uh, that would be some of us. So uh, anyway, so some of us may do like devotionals. Some people, like with the new Bible app, you can do Bible reading plans where you can kind of go through the Bible in a year. Uh, some people use study aids, and some people do some hardcore intensive studying. Uh, and all these things are great, wonderful methods of studying and reading the Word of God. I have nothing against them. But here's my question. How easy is it to take your method of study and disciple someone by it? Because... If we remember, Jesus' great commission was not to study the Bible. It was to disciple others. And so if my intensive Bible studying that I love to do or my devotional reading plan is helping me, how is it helping anyone else? And that's what we were put on this planet for, is to be a blessing to others. So uh, what I want to talk about is this study, this technique called the promise principle. And I hope it will kind of reshape your thinking on what it means to disciple others. And so here's what the promise principle is defined as. Here's how we define this. It is God's fundamental way to disciple believers through his promises so that we won't participate in our old nature, but participate in his divine nature. We always talk about we want to be more like Jesus. We want to live like Jesus did. We want to love people like Jesus did. And we always say, well, how in the world do I do that? Jesus was perfect. I am not. If anybody knows me, you know that. Uh, So how do we get to the point where we're going to live like Jesus? Well, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But before I begin to talk about the promise principle, I want to kind of give you some fundamental thoughts and processes that you need to understand of why this method is actually going to be effective. So... Uh, here's the thing. Here's a saying that he says in this book that his father taught him. And this is what he said. He said, we do not live our lives based on circumstances. We live our lives based on principles. And one of the things that I think about, and I tell my teenagers in our youth group all the time, is I am not at church this morning because I felt like it. I mean... I got up this morning knowing that I was going to lead worship. And then when I got finished with that, I was going to preach. And when I got finished with that, I was going to do a funeral this afternoon. And that didn't mean that I felt all giddy inside when I woke up this morning to have to do all that. (laughs) But I come to church this morning because years ago I made the decision that if I am breathing and able to walk and drive, I will be at church. And sometimes that is the only reason that I come. I mean, I'm just being honest here. We all have those moments where we don't feel like it. But if I wake up in the morning, like I woke up this morning with a sore throat. I woke up this morning, the past two mornings with a sore throat. Well, that doesn't bode well for someone that's got to sing and teach. But that doesn't change the fact that I'm going to be here. And if y'all have to hear me grunt and choke and cough and everything else the entire time, well, so be it. 
because I want to be here. Because of two reasons that I learned a long time ago. If I don't show up, I can't be blessed. I'm not going to be blessed sitting at the house by myself. Rarely ever happens. Rarely am I ever sitting watching TV and all of a sudden it's like, bam, man, Jesus just showed up. (laughs) Just doesn't happen. The second thing is I cannot be a blessing to you guys. And that's what I'm called to do. That's what we're all called to do. We don't come to church because we need to check it off our list. We come to church because we need God to touch us. And we need God to use us to touch other people. And there's no better place to be than here. It can be done at Walmart. And I hope that that's what you are doing when you're out and about in the workplace and and, in the marketplace. But here it should be easy. It should be easy to walk in the doors of your church and be blessed. Someone has a smile on their face. Someone says a kind word. That should be normal for us guys. So the question is... How do we get to this point where we, we base our lives on principles? And why is it that so many people live by their circumstances? Well, God designed us in a way that we're supposed to be spirit-led. We are, uh, we are a three-part being just as God created us to be in his image. He was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He created us in his image to be body, soul, and spirit. He created us in three parts. Now, we all have this body, and we know it's getting older and uglier and fatter, and there's more hair growing on it every single day. We know that. We also know we have this soulish realm that we think and we feel and we love people through, and we, and we, and we figure things out, and we go to work, and we deal with people. Praise the Lord, except for Lita, because she works up here by herself. It's like, everybody wants that job. Uh, and so anyway, we have this soul realm, but then we have this spirit, spirit part of us, which is the created person that's going to live forever. Yeah. You know, we're going to shed this body. We all know that. We're going to die one day, and this body's going to be put back into the ground where it came from. And our soul and our spirit is the only things that are going to be left of us. And so the question is, why aren't we being spirit-led? Why are we allowing ourselves to not be led by our spirit? And the reason we, we don't understand that there are parts of us that are designed to function a certain way. Our spirit is designed to work in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. It's not necessarily designed to work on its own. When you and I got saved, the Holy Spirit moved on the inside of us, and now we can work through that Holy Spirit. And the thing about our spirits leading us And the reason we know that this is something that we're supposed to be doing is because Jesus said this in John 4, 24. He said this. He said, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And so in order for us to even step into worship, we have to understand that we're not doing that out of necessarily our body. We're using our bodies as manifestations of what's going on the inside of us. That's why he gave us our bodies. To be able to lift our hands, to be able to close our eyes, to be able to shout, to be able to sing, to clap. All these things are expressions of what should be going on on the inside of us. But the problem is, instead of our spirits leading us, we're walking like the world walks. And the world walks being led by their circumstances. And we see this over in Ephesians 
Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit that works in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So, as we can see, before we got saved, we were being led to and fro by our feelings, by our thoughts, by how we felt. And most of the world, as you can see watching television, is being led by how they feel or think. It's a prevalent idea to just do what you want to do. Be who you want to be. If you're a guy and you want to be a woman, that's okay in today's society. If you're a woman and you want to be a guy, that's acceptable. Because we're allowing people to be led by how they feel. And not by how God created us to be and how God designed us to be led by our spirit. And so, because of that, our entire thinking is warped. And our entire, entire culture has been warped. But when we get saved, we bring all of that baggage with us. I mean, here's the thing. Is you and I can minister to someone who's got an identity crisis and doesn't know whether they're male or female and doesn't understand how God designed them to be and they have all these feelings and thoughts going on the inside of them and I'm not going to say that they don't. I'm not going to say that they're not feeling that way. And then, they're, and then we want to minister to that person. And so we minister to that person. And maybe that person accepts Jesus. But guess what? Maybe not instantaneously do they change their thinking. They've got to walk that out. And we have to learn to love people where they are at. It doesn't matter where someone's at. You were at a place at one point in time that you were without Jesus you needed Jesus, and he needed to change you. So in order for us to learn to disciple other people, first of all, we have to love people exactly where they are. And if we can't do that, we're not going to be a very effective in discipling people. Because I can promise you, you're going to have opportunities to love and disciple people who do not think or believe like you do. And guess what? That's okay. We're not all the same. We weren't all created the same. So the question we ask next is, why is the promise principle the way we should do this? Why is it? Well, I'm glad you asked. So, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, he says this. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And I'm sure we've heard this verse a million times if we've grown up in church. But the writer uses the word hear when he says, O Israel. The word, however, has a stronger meaning than simply to hear, okay? See, if you as a parent ask your child, do you hear me? You are not questioning their auditory capabilities, right? I mean, that's not the question that's being asked. It's not, did your ears work and you, it went in one ear and out the other? The question is, are you going to do what I just told you to do? The parent wants action. They want the child to obey upon hearing. And that's what God is saying. See, God, just like a parent, does not separate the word hear and obey. It is combined. There is not hearing and obeying. 
It's all one word. It's hear, obey. It's just all together. It's, it's synonymous. If you hear, you obey. As simple as that. That's what God expects of us. And if you aren't obeying, guess what you're not doing? You're not hearing. You may heard with your auditory capabilities, but you didn't really hear what God was saying. So then God goes on in this verse and he adds another word. He says, love. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. So all of a sudden, what God is trying to do is say that hear, obey, and love work hand in hand. They're not separate entities. He expects them all to kind of work together. And the command when you hear and obey God is that you love God with everything that's within you. So the question is, did your father or mother or whoever raised you, maybe your grandmother, ever use the same four-word sentence that most young people heard their entire lives? Because I said so. I'm sure most of us have heard that at some point in time. Our parents say no. We say why not. They say because I said so. (laughs) And most teenagers, children are like, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. But let's just say, for instance, let's just say you have a daughter or I have a daughter. And she comes to me and she wants to go on a date with a boy that I do not approve of. So at that very moment, how am I going to explain all the prayers and all the hopes that I have for her future? Because she's not going to understand them. How will I explain why I object to this potential date? It's going to be very difficult. So in that moment, I'm going to say, no. And she's going to say, why not? And of course, I'm going to say, because I said so. It's as simple as that. And see, like most children, she's going to believe that is the very worst reason she has ever heard of in her entire life. But here's the thing. If she could understand that I am giving the most loving, profound response that I could ever give her, she would know that I was completely for her. That I'm not against her. That I want what's best for her. And if she could grasp all these things, she would say this. She would say, oh, dad... I know you love me, and because you say so, that is enough for me. And because she knows the depths of my love, it won't be a burden for her to obey me. Right? Right? Now, you may need to think I need to wake up and come back to reality. And maybe I do. Because no teenage daughter has ever said that to her father that I'm aware of. Nevertheless, isn't that what would happen if we did what Paul did in 1 Corinthians? In 1 Corinthians 13 and 11, he says this. He said, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Are we maturing in our thinking with God? Or are we still fighting back when he says, because I said so? Because we hear all of our lives growing up and we come to church and the preacher talks about the word of God and he says something that we just are like, I can't do that and I'm not even going to try to do that. That's beyond my capabilities and that makes no sense to me. Why does God want me to do that? Why does God want me to go to Africa? 
why does God want me to do this? And we're like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, not going to do it. And we ask him why, and he just says, because I said so. (laughs) Or he doesn't say anything at all. And we're like, okay, I got to make a decision here. Am I going to obey or am I not going to obey? Spiritual maturity happens when we believe that no matter what circumstances we face, all we need to hear is God say, because I said so. If we can trust that his, that is his most profound, loving response that he could ever give us, that he can explain it to us, why he feels that we need to do this. And we should know that he can see much further into the future than I can. And he knows that by asking me to do this, or asking me not to do this, that he is helping me down the road. How many of you ever had God do that to you where he asked you to stop doing something or to do something and you did it or you stopped doing it and all of a sudden, like months later, you realized why? And it's like, man, I'm glad I listened. And at the same time, some of us have disobeyed and down the road we found out why we should have listened to begin with. It happens all the time. We, we, We do it when we're kids and now we do it with God when we're adults. And... For us, that means something needs to change. Our obedience has to be the right response to his love. If we truly believe that he loves us and we love him, then we will obey him. He says in 1 John 5, 3, he says, Loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. He's not asking us to do anything that's really hard. It may not be what we feel like doing. But it's typically never something that's beyond our capabilities. It may, it may not be something I want to do. But it's never something that's burdensome. And you may have considered many of God's commands as burdens. Maybe sometimes you feel like that's too much of a burden. I can't do that. But as you mature in Christ, you will find the words of the psalmist to be your confession. In Psalm 119, he says, Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are my constant guide. Yes, I have more insight than my teachers, for I am always thinking of your laws. I am even wiser than my elders, for I have kept your commandments. I have refused to walk on any evil path so that I may remain obedient to your word. I haven't turned away from your regulations, for you you have taught me well. How sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I've promised it once and I'll promise it again. I will obey your righteous regulations. As we mature and grow, that should be our heart. That I just want to do what God tells me to do. Whether I like it or don't. And so, like I said before, it's not living by your circumstances. It's living by a principle that you make a decision that when God speaks, we will listen. You have to make that decision. And here's the thing. If you are a disciple of Jesus, then this scripture should echo your heart. If you truly are being discipled by God and his word, this should be your heart. In fact, you can use this scripture to measure your spiritual maturity. To see where you're at in your walk with God. For a disciple of Jesus, there is no substitute for obedience. It's just, it is what it is. I mean, if I'm going to be his disciple, I'm going to do what he tells me to do. We read throughout the, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of all the times that the disciples were like, what is he talking about? 
I mean, they didn't understand everything he told them to do or asked them to do, but they did it because they were like, like Peter says, where else are we going to go? What else are we going to do? So far, everything you've wanted us to do has worked out. We don't necessarily understand what you're talking about, Jesus. It's way above our heads. We're uneducated men. But by golly, it's been working. I saw you feed like multitudes of people with two fish and five loaves of bread. I'm not going anywhere. So, bring this back to us discipling people. Jesus talked about it in his great commission. He says to teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given them. So us obeying Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus is what we're supposed to be turning around and teaching someone else to do. But if you and I are not living a life of obedience, then I can't teach anybody else to obey God. I mean, it's impossible. We have to understand how to obey God ourselves before we can teach somebody else to do it. I mean, I've heard my entire life, you don't know something until you're able to teach it. I mean, that's what I've been taught my entire life. And so if I want to be able to help somebody in an area of their life, I have to know what I'm talking about. So that brings us into... The great, wonderful, the promise principle, and kind of what this is in Scripture. Because we're going to find it here in Scripture. Before we get into that, look at Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, because this is our great command. command. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what he commands us to do. To disciple people. And disciples are people who adhere to the teachings of another. Disciples are not some people that do their own thing. Disciples of Jesus, they learn from him in order to live like him. They followed him. And what did Jesus model? He never lived by what he felt or thought. It was never his intention. He always obeyed his father and did only what the father told him to do. You can see that in over John chapter 5 verse 19. He says, I only do what I see my father do and I only say what I hear my father say. That's how he lived his life in complete and utter obedience. So why is understanding Jesus' teachings about discipleship so important? Why is it so important that we understand Jesus' method of discipleship? Well, the fact is we've obeyed our flesh most of our lives. Our body and our soulless realm has, has driven us to, to teach us to go by how we feel and how we think. And now all of a sudden we got saved and our spirit man came to life. The Holy Spirit moved on the inside of us and all of a sudden I saw things differently. I felt differently. I experienced things differently. And all of a sudden... I had to learn to obey a new master. And pastor's been talking about this new master the past couple weeks, and that master is righteousness. In Romans 6, 18, he says, Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. You have a new master, and that new master is righteousness. The ability to live in right standing with God. And because you are in right standing with God, you can obey. It's possible now. 
Before you and I got saved, it was pretty much impossible to obey God. We had no way of doing it because we were controlled completely by our feelings. And then all of a sudden, we've got this new master. And so now, it's like changing jobs. You get a new boss, and you've got to figure them out, right? How many of you have learned that once you figure out your boss, work is a whole lot easier? Whether they're a good boss or not, once you figure out their personality and their way of doing things, life becomes a whole lot easier. When you first step into a job, man, it's like walking on eggshells and you're afraid of doing something wrong and you don't know what your boss is going to say because all you can compare them to is your last one. And so, like, especially if you step from, like, a harsh boss to all of a sudden a laid-back boss, that's like two totally different worlds, you know, or going vice versa. And so it... It takes some time to get used to. So when you and I first got saved, we had to learn how our new master worked. And our new master worked in a loving way to help us learn to walk differently. As God began to show us and the Spirit of God began to lead us, he wasn't brash and abrasive with us. He was loving. He was kind. He was merciful. He was graceful. He gave us opportunities that when we messed up, he says, you know what? You can do better than that. I know you can. Because I've created you to do better than that. So perhaps you're thinking this. We're talking about Jesus discipling his disciples. And you're like, well, I wasn't there. I didn't walk those three and a half years with Jesus. I didn't get to see him do all them wonderful, crazy things. And talk about the wonderful things that he talked about. And be confused with the rest of them. That wasn't my life. But here's the thing. God did give us a blueprint for discipleship. And we're going to call it the promise principle. And this is what we believe that Jesus taught to his disciples. And here's why we believe that. Out of all the people that we would trust to give us Jesus' way of discipleship, those were 12 disciples that walked with him day in and day out for three and a half years. Those would be the guys that could probably tell us. Now, out of those 12, we always talk about three, Peter, James, and John, as being closer to Jesus than any of the others. But only one was the thorn in Jesus' side. Peter. And Peter got discipled probably more than anybody else. Jesus was always talking to Peter. Because Peter was always talking. And he was having to tell him to be quiet. So, Peter is the one we're going to see explain this discipleship process to us. So, he says this in 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, this is where we will find the idea of the promise principle. So starting in verse 2, he says, May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And, I, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. So this thought process parallels the Great Commission, which calls us to go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey. And Peter says in here that we are basically made disciples because of Jesus and Christ's marvelous glory and excellence. He changed us from the inside out and created us and made us his disciples. Which enables us to go out and live a godly life. 
It's because of what he has done on the inside of us that we can even attempt to live a godly life. God made it possible for us to obey him. And he did this because of his promises. The things that he put in the word of God for you and I. In verse 3, he says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. He gave us everything. It's not a question of whether or not I can. It's a question of whether or not I will. That's really what it boils down to. Because I can. We're all capable of it if we have Jesus Christ living on the inside of us. So why did he give us these promises to help us live a godly life? Why, why do we need that? Well, because guess what? Life's still going to happen. Circumstances are still going to arise. And God does not want you and I to obey our circumstances. Amen. He does not want us to live based on what's happening around us. He has a method of discipling you to obey everything he has commanded. And this is included and we do this in response to his promises. So, the idea of the promise principle. The principle idea. What is a principle? It's a declared truth or fundamental primary law from which we derive our other truths. It's a law that we use to define what is true in our lives. So, what are God's promises? So, they are every truth and every commandment that he has revealed to us in his word. Everything that is true about what he has done for us, he has done through us, that he has done in response to us, and everything that he is asking us to do in his word is a promise. They are promises that he has given us. And God's promises in the scriptures are the very will of God. Those are God's will for us. You know, in Hebrews, one of my favorite verses, he talks about the word of God being a double-edged sword. And it divides your spirit thoughts and your soulless thoughts, and it tells us that it penetrates to the deepest parts of our heart with the Word of God. That means that when you and I get into the Word, it should change us because it's saying, okay, this thing, this way you're thinking right now isn't the way I want you to think because that's a soulish thought. That's a crazy thought. This is the way I want you to think. And we can begin to separate the thoughts and the feelings that we're having and divide them by the Word of God. It can help us figure out why we do what we do, which some of us still don't know. I'm still trying to figure out sometimes why I do what I do. My wife is never going to figure out why I do what I do. Yeah, true that. So this helps us be spirit-led. Because if we're going to be led by the Spirit of God, we have to understand what he's saying to us. And we have to understand what he's speaking to us individually on the inside of us. So we do this with the word of God. Ephesians uh, 4.23 talks about him renewing us. He says, instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. We should be being renewed constantly. Because guess what? When we came to Jesus, like we said, we were messed up. We were. That's just, that's just the way it is. I mean, we can't get around that. And so he has to change us. We have to renew our thoughts. Moving on, Peter says in verse 5, he says, In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. He says, Supplement your faith with generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly love, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. So, 
in view of this verse, recently, I've past few months, I've started working out. And you hear about this thing called creatine powder. Now, creatine in itself is basically an organic acid that occurs naturally in the human body, and it sends energy to your cells, primarily to your muscles. That's what creatine is. But what creatine powder is a supplement or an additive that will enhance the work that that creatine is doing in your body to help build you up faster, is the idea. It's a supplement to help that that energy get into your muscles and start working them out uh, to a greater degree. So what Peter is saying here is that if we respond to God's promises, we will supplement our faith with all of these things. With generous provisions of moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, patient endurance, godliness, and brotherly love. So why do we need, let's just say, a supplement of moral excellence? Why do we need that? Because even as a believer, you will be tempted to make decisions that will seem good at the moment, but won't be morally excellent. They just won't be. I mean, it doesn't change the fact that we still live in this world and we're still going to be tempted. Just because I got saved doesn't mean everything is just hunky-dory now. It's just not. I'm still going to be tempted to do things that I shouldn't do. So I need to add to my faith some moral excellence. And because of that, he says that I can do this with the promises of God. Maybe it's brotherly affection that we need a little bit more of. Because guess what? People are going to betray you and they are going to deeply wound you. There's no way around that. And I need a little bit more of that brotherly affection on the inside of me working on its way to the outside so I don't kill somebody. I mean, that's just just the God honest truth. So he goes on to say in verse 8, he says, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Peter goes on to say that God has given us a specific way to grow that will make us productive and useful in our knowledge of him. So that means that you and I can grow in our knowledge, but not be productive and useful. See, many Christians have a lot of Bible knowledge. They know all sorts of things about the Bible. They've read it from cover to cover many, many times, yet they possess no power and never show any fruit in their life. They just know stuff. I mean, I know lots of people who are like debaters of the word of God that aren't even saved and know the Bible inside and out because they learned it so that they could argue it. So just knowing the word of God is not enough. We need to be productive. We need to be useful. These people that show no power, these people are like what James talks about in 122 when he talks about being not just hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. These are hearers only. These are people who just read it, and that's all they need to do. I did my due diligence. I read the Bible today. Didn't change me. I'm not going to live it, but I read it. Pat me on the back. That's that's what I'm going to do. 
See, a person can have great knowledge of God, yet live just as deceived as someone who's not saved. You can be saved, going to heaven one day, and have all sorts of knowledge of God, and be just as deceived as someone who doesn't even know the Lord. Because you walk through your entire life just thinking, you know what? I just, if I just go to church, and I read my Bible, and I pray, then that's enough. Well, that, he did, those are all things that we should do. I'm not saying stop coming to church. I'm not saying stop reading your Bible and don't stop praying. But his commandment wasn't those three things. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And if I'm not making disciples, then I'm missing something, right? I'm missing out. Peter also goes on to say that this work is hard and we have to work hard. If we're going to grow, we have to work hard. Just like if I'm going to work out, I have to work at it. It's not just something, I can't just walk into Planet Fitness down there, walk in the front door and then muscles just jump on me. Man, I wish that would happen, but it doesn't, man. I got to actually go use the machine. I was like, I thought I paid 10 bucks a month for muscles. I didn't know I paid 10 bucks a month to use the machines. Man, what's wrong with this? But just as when you're getting in shape, just as... Doing the things that you're supposed to promises results. And it works. If you do what you're supposed to do, it works. The same thing happens in the spiritual realm. If we do what we're supposed to do, it promises that it has results. It will change you from the inside out. The whole reason an athlete trains for this physical fitness is he wants to win a prize. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. He says, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. He says, so I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might find myself disqualified. They're trying to win a prize that's going to fade away. But you and I are training ourselves spiritually because we have an eternal prize that is waiting for us. And he, he talks about this eternal prize in verse 11. 2 Peter 1.11 says, Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, guys, I want that grand entrance. I want to walk in with Jesus standing at his feet as I walk into the throne room of God. And enter heaven. So we can imagine all of heaven is standing. As we walk in with this grand entrance. We walk down the big aisle toward the king of kings and the lord of lords. The one who died for us. Rescued us from a certain eternal death. And gave us peace and a life full of meaningful relationships. And we kneel before him and king Jesus comes up to us and says well done. My good and faithful servant, you have been faithful in handling the small thing I have given you. A life of 80 years. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. See, if Jesus says that to me, it will mean that I have lived a life in obedience to his word. It will mean whatever area of influence I had in this life, I made an impact for the kingdom of God. And before I share my final thoughts here, I want to tell you that I don't have time to explain how the promise principle works, but I would love to share it with you. And I believe August 12th, 
I'll be up here at 3 o'clock with those that are uh, my volunteers in our youth ministry. We're going to start doing the promise principle together as we learn how to teach teenagers how to do this. I've done this with my senior high students last year. uh, And so I'm going to do it with my volunteers starting next month. If you would like to know more about this, you are welcome to join us. Uh, Like I said, I'll be here August 12th at 3. Uh, Got a lot of stuff going on between now and then, so that's when we decide to kick it off. I'm going to try to do it twice a month uh, for a little while until I get everybody kind of up to speed on it. And then hopefully you can start starting your own Promise Principle groups. That's, That's the goal. Uh, Lita and I have started doing this at home ourselves. Uh, It's just a simple method to be able to study the Word of God together. Uh, Like I said, this is probably the easiest thing you will ever do to study the Word of God. I promise you. If you've ever wondered how in the world am I supposed to help somebody else, like I don't know the Bible, guess what? This method doesn't require you to know the Bible. This is all all God-led. I promise you. It's, It's a great thing. So, here's my... Final questions for you. Do you ever feel like your efforts at discipleship are often like shadow boxing? You do the best you know to do, but you still feel spiritually weak. Do the circumstances of life seem to rule you? Do you feel that troubles cause you to blow like a leaf in the wind when it comes to your faith? Do you feel like you continually fall into the same temptations? God's word contains all the promises that you need and he has given them to you so you won't live by those circumstances in your life anymore. So that's why we want to learn how this promise principle can work for our good. You'll stand to your feet.